This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. This is 1A. I'm Jen White. Going to the doctor can be a bit nerve-wracking, but not just because of the poking and prodding. For many, it's also the added stress of waiting for the bill. Here's what one of you had to share. I uh, had some intestinal issues that led me to getting gastroenterologists. Ultimately, through anesthesia, gastroenterologist procedures, I ended up with about $5,000 in medical debt which uh, I was just unable to pay. And it still sits over me today because I just don't have that much money lying around. I have to get a colonoscopy every three years because I'm prone to getting intestinal cancer. And I just go and get those and pay what I can. We're continuing our series in partnership with Bloomberg News. It's called Life and Debt. During the series, we get into the federal debt limit, student loans, and credit card debt. For this installment, we're focusing on medical debt. Last year, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that's a government agency, reported there's around $88 billion in medical debt just in collections. And about 43 million Americans have medical debt on their credit report. After the break, we learn more about the issues surrounding medical debt in the U.S. and hear your stories about how you've dealt with it or are dealing with it. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Let's bring in some experts to walk us through some of the major issues around medical debt. Allison Sesso is the president and CEO of RIP Medical Debt. It's a nonprofit that buys medical debt in bulk, erasing the debt for groups of consumers. Allison, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us, Jennifer Bosco. She's a senior attorney at the National Consumer Law Center. They work on issues that impact low-income consumers, including medical debt. Jennifer, welcome. Thanks for having me. And John Tazi. He's a healthcare reporter at Bloomberg News. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. So, Allison, let's just start with the ways people find themselves with medical debt. What happens? 
people go to get, I mean, I think as the, the person that you put up at the front of the this, this show in terms of their story, I think that's unfortunately a common story for a lot of people. They go to get the health care that they need. Um, and increasingly, you know, we have this expectation that p- what people are going to pay out of pocket uh, is much higher than their actual means. So maybe they're under a lot. Increasingly, people are underinsured. It's not that they're not insured. Over 90 percent of Americans now are insured um, as a result of Obamacare, but it didn't solve this medical debt problem uh, because people are underinsured, so they have high deductibles that they can't meet. Uh, The costs of care are uh, very difficult for people to navigate and understand, and they're all over the place. There's no real um, sensibility behind them, and and a common person can't understand that. Uh, and, And it's just increasingly this propped up system that we keep plugging the holes in, and it ends up where people trying to get the care that they need just end up throwing up their hands, either not getting the care uh, or, or getting less care or waiting too long to get the care or making real financial sacrifices in order to get that care. We got this message from Angela in Florida. Just a couple years ago, I fell, broke my foot and had an appendectomy in the same year, two different situations. Both times while I was traveling, therefore, I ended up with bills from three separate states and at least five separate hospital institutions, and then some, so many bills. I took it upon myself to spend the next year and a half and using this time as a part-time job to apply successfully and painstakingly so to get financial aid to take the burden off of my over $8,000 in bills. And by the way, I've always had excellent insurance. So Angela there sharing a story where she has insurance, but still ended up with a a sizable medical bill. And Jennifer, she said it was her part-time job finding ways to pay off this medical debt. I mean, what kind of burden does medical debt put people under, not just financially, but the time it takes to figure out how to navigate it? Oh, that's that's a great question. And um, Describing it as a part-time job, that is a pretty apt description, I think. It can take a lot of time to navigate health insurance and to navigate financial assistance. And especially, um, you know, in the caller situation, if you've got multiple providers that you're dealing with and, and multiple states. Um, so, I mean, there there are resources out there for consumers. Um, you know, my organization puts out uh, some consumer information about how to deal with different types of debt, including medical debt. So, you know, there are supports, but it's it can be time consuming. I mean, certainly when I was representing consumers who had medical debt, that that was not a quick thing. Even though I'm an attorney, um, you know, it just it it can be burdensome. John, how is medical debt different from other types of debt? I think the primary way that it's different is that it's almost never debt that people sort of enter into willingly, right? Where, you know, it's not like you're applying for a mortgage and, or a credit card or, uh, you know, that you're taking out a loan and somebody's doing a credit check to see if you're a good uh, borrower. You know, it, this is debt that is sort of incurred um, often unexpectedly um, or, you know, in situations where people don't have a choice um, or sometimes they may not even be aware um, that they are, uh, you know, that they have a bill because something wasn't covered by their insurance. So, you know, it's not, um, 
it's a kind of very unusual uh, transaction because you're, you know, uh, you're signing some paperwork when you're going in for an appointment or the hospital. And, and in that, uh, you know, nobody reads it. And, and in that kind of process, you are potentially exposing yourself to this liability. Um, but it's not the way uh, you would if you were sort of going to the bank to take out a loan. And so I think as a result, um, it hits a lot of people who are not prepared for it. And, um, you know, uh, I think there are, there are serious consequences to that. Mm. Allison, how does medical debt affect someone's credit? Well, it depends, actually. And, and um, it depends whether or not the person or the entity that, that owns the debt puts it to somebody's credit. I will say the biggest problem in my mind is not actually just the credit impact, but the stress that we've been talking about here. People know, you know, Americans want to pay their bills. They want to. And I think that there's sometimes this attitude of, well, they're, you know, they're they're not paying and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're just throwing their hands in the air and not doing what they need to do. And I don't think that that's true at all. It's not true based on what I see from the people coming back to us by the people who have called in already. People want to be able to pay their bills. The system just doesn't set them up for success. You know, there is, it is not easy to have $5,000 available and that's the healthcare plan that you have access to because the premium is so high. And so fundamentally we're setting people up for failure. And so, yes, it, it does impact people's credit. There have been some positive nudges in the right direction uh, by the credit agencies around this issue. Although I would, you know, to your point earlier about uh, how is this different than other types of debt, I would argue it shouldn't be on people's credit reports at all because it's a terrible indicator of whether or not someone is credit worthy. And that's the point of credit reports. But the bigger implications of medical debt are not necessarily in my mind just related to credit, but the fact that people do not go and get the medical care that they need and that they feel additional stress as a result of trying to navigate navigate this insane system. And that is actually undermining further their health. And so I think that that's the piece of this that I really want to focus on. The fact that this stress, having debt undermines the whole point of the healthcare system, which is for people to have health and well-being. John, in your reporting, what have you learned about the ways medical debt affects people's lives? I think what Allison said is spot on, just the the stress and the sort of psychic toll that it puts on people um, is... It's hard to understate how important that is that, you know, often, um, you know, again, it's as some of the callers have stated, it's, you know, when they're, they're um, you know, experiencing a serious health problem. And then there's this financial uh, obligation that kind of comes along with it that that, you know, uh, can be really, um, you know, really hard to deal with, I think, just emotionally. Um, but there are real-world consequences. You know, I've talked to patients who, because a medical debt was reported on their credit uh, report, they thought that they weren't, uh, they weren't able to get a job. Employers uh, turned them down for, for job offers because of their, their credit report, uh, which is legal in many states. Um, you know, and then there are the trade-offs people have to make uh, to deal with the expenses. People have to choose between, you know, paying the electric bill and paying their medic, uh, medical bills. People have to choose between, you know, uh, you know, people may be rationing care, rationing their prescriptions or, or you know, uh, skipping or avoiding care because of the expense. 
That's John Tazi. He's a healthcare reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Coming up, we speak to the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, about steps it's taking to protect people from medical debt. I'm Jen White. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to our conversation on medical debt by bringing in a new voice. Rohit Chopra is the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or the CFPB. It's a government agency created after the financial crisis that started in 2007. Rohit, thanks for joining us. Let's jump right in. Rohit, what role does the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau play in helping people deal with their medical debt? We're responsible for making sure that all sorts of financial products and services are fair, transparent, competitive, and really following the existing law. That's part of why we've been looking at the data pretty closely and seeing that medical debt has absolutely exploded in recent years. We released an analysis to show that it's now the most common debt in collections on Americans' credit reports, about 43 million people had medical bills on their credit report totaling around $88 billion. This has grown quickly, and it is a big point of stress for so many Americans. Now, the CFPB has taken steps to lessen the extent to which medical debt affects someone's credit rating. One of those changes, which went into effect last month, is removing medical collections under $500 from someone's credit report. How did you settle on that number? Well, so the three big credit reporting conglomerates, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, Those are the companies that really collect information on all of us and sell it to banks, employers, and others. They made the decision after our report to really get rid of a whole lot of these from credit reports. Part of the reason is that medical debt, it's not really a debt in the same way. You don't sign up for a loan You get the bill after the service. You then are subjected to a ping-ponging between the provider and the insurance company. And often it's put on your credit report to coerce you into paying, even if you don't really owe it. Our analysis has shown that it's not really predictive at all in terms of performance on credit cards, auto loans, and mortgages. And I think this initial step to remove a lot of it will actually be a big benefit. Well, how many people did that change actually help? Well, we've crunched a lot of the numbers. It has cut out about half, I believe. We're we're still looking at the specific data. 
it's millions and millions of Americans, but the debt that is above $500 is still on. And we are really looking closely about whether it's appropriate at all to put this information on credit reports. And I just want to be clear, even though that $500 um, report was removed from someone's credit, they still owe that money, correct? Well, it depends. In some ways, people never owed it in the first place. One of one of the things we've noticed in our consumer complaints and our market analysis is that accuracy issues on medical debt on credit reports are very acute. Often we hear about debt collectors just parking it on the credit report in order to induce someone into paying. And to be honest, many consumers just give up. They pay the bill because they don't want to be disqualified for when they're applying for a loan or a job or an apartment. So you know we can't we we can't say for certain how much of the debt that's on credit reports is really even valid. Now the CFPB says it's quote working to stop unfair medical debt collection and coercive credit reporting practices that add strain on American families. Rohit, what is unfair medical debt collection? How do you define that? Yeah, so we have a law on the books called the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Um, It's been around for decades, and it puts some sensible safeguards to make sure that debt collectors are not harassing people, cheating them. We're looking hard not just at credit reporting, but also at debt collector tactics, whether they know or not whether the debt is valid Um, We're doing all sorts of things when it comes to making sure that those collectors are following the law. We do see a number of debt collectors really making sure they are fully compliant, and we don't think they should have to be competing with collectors who, who flagrantly violate the law. So what additional steps will CFPB take to ensure all debt collection agencies are working within the law? Well, part of what we're doing is enforcement. We're making sure that we're kicking the tires on some of these big debt collection outfits. We've taken some important actions that often led to restitution for consumers. Um, And we're doing much more. We're looking at the rules that have long been on the books when it comes to debt collectors putting information on credit reports We're looking at how debt collectors and others are informing people about charity care. You know, when you are at a nonprofit hospital, federal law um, establishes certain financial assistance programs that the hospital or provider is supposed to offer to you. We're taking and working with other agencies to look at that. We're also, Jen, really scrutinizing these new medical credit card companies. We've recently released an analysis about the the business practices and the trends. We see a big surge in people having to sign up for medical loans and credit cards at a healthcare facility. And we found that these are often very expensive and looking at ultimately how do they lead to people getting sued by debt collectors 
or the other financial distress they face. We got this question from David who emails, can you clarify whether medical debt is uniquely a United States problem? Are there any statistics on anywhere else in the world where medical debt bankruptcies occur? And how much does the for-profit healthcare industry contribute to the medical debt? Rohit, what can you tell us starting with whether this is a uniquely United States issue? It is a great question. When We have not done in-depth analysis of all countries, but we find that of the rest of the developed world, um, you know, G7, G20 type countries, it's fairly unique in the U.S. Um, Our system of various types of insurance programs, uh, the ways in which bills flow through the system, it's hard to say that this is common across the globe. In many ways, it's particularly distinct. And you, you know, the question about for-profit arrangements, we actually find issues with both for-profit entities and nonprofit entities in terms of how medical bills are handled. We know that many patients just have a tough time battling uh, when they get a bill that they're, you know, for example, they're being charged two copays instead of one. They may be already hit the deductible, but they're being told to pay more. They're trying to decipher their explanation of benefits from their insurance company. You know, sadly, um, this is often a very American problem. Uh, Rohit, how much change can the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau enact on its own unilaterally? Or do you require congressional support? Well, there are things we are doing under existing law when it comes to enforcing and administering key protections like the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act I mentioned before. But, you know, a lot of these issues stem also from the healthcare system and health insurance. State regulators, other federal agencies are also trying to make sure that this medical billing and debt system is working a little better. But of course, there's always room for Congress and state legislatures to act too. Well, like so many things, the role and the work of the CFPB has become a partisan issue. The Bureau has long been a target for Republicans. And just a little history for people, it was first proposed by then-Harvard Law Professor Elizabeth Warren after the 2007 financial crisis, and it was created in 2010 with the passage of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. But Critics say the CFPB is the epitome of government overreach and it wields too much unchecked power. What do you say to that criticism? Look, lobbyists and others who want to stop the CFPB from enforcing the laws on the books will tell lots of tales about this. The truth is we are focused on real consumer pain points. We're trying to stop illegal foreclosures. We're trying to go after illegal fees that are imposed on people. And we just want to make sure that the market is fair as the law spells out. I don't want to see us ever encounter mass consumer pain like we saw in the financial crisis and the foreclosure crisis. That's why we're trying to stay ahead of so many issues before they become nationwide Um Scandals. I think we're taking early action on medical debt and so much more to stop 
things before it gets too out of hand. And and how much political support do you have around helping people deal specifically with medical debt right now? You know, we focus more on our consumer complaint hotline and what we're hearing. And we hear from individuals from every state, from urban, rural areas, others that medical billing and debt is really a pain point in their lives. And when we talk to others, um, we hear from across the spectrum real frustration with how medical billing and how coercive collections and credit reporting just is not a system that is working. That's Rohit Chopra. He's the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Rohit, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Allison, hospital billing is often confusing and overwhelming for people. Why is there a lack of transparency in that system? Well, I think what happens is that the hospitals are being paid by a third party for the most part and not the individuals. They're getting paid by an insurance company. There's this opaque uh, negotiation that goes on between that payer on behalf of the patient. Is it really on behalf of the patient? You know, there's a, there's a lot of question marks within that system. Um, and there's all kinds of payers, right? Sometimes it's government. It could be Medicaid, Medicare, and those are not the same programs and not the same approaches. Uh, and so hospitals have to have the very complicated and different approaches to collecting the money uh, which can take a year, 18 months before they finally figure out how much it is. And in the, in the middle of that, they're using increasingly, and this is part of the four-profit sort of for profit vacuum that our healthcare system increasingly is becoming, is there's these companies that come in and, in air quotes, help the hospital do their collections. Um, and sometimes that's helping the hospital figure out how to get a better rate from the insurance company and then also step in and try to figure out how to collect and put people on these payment plans that uh, the director was talking about. You know, those payment plans, I think that's one red flag that everyone should make sure that they pay attention to. You should not sign up for um, a a payment plan that's offered automatically by your hospital um, because you could end up having to pay for years and years and years and and then all of a sudden it's a zero interest rate that pops up to 20% in two years. And that is something that I think the CFPB has done a great job of highlighting for people. So I think that the system is complicated. It's not clear. Uh, Sometimes hospitals sell their debt to a a for-profit debt collector, in which case they can do basically whatever they want based on the the laws that are in place. They can put a lien on someone's house. They can garnish wages. They could take them to court. Um, But a lot of times it's opaque to the individual that actually it's just a collection agency that's collecting the debt, but acting in the hospital stead. And frankly, there's a responsibility of the hospitals to make sure that they understand and are paying attention to how those entities that they've contracted and outsourced these services to are actually interacting with individuals that are their patients, ultimately. Well, you you mentioned uh, payment plans, and we got this email. I went to a teaching hospital to get a discount on a surgery. I still had to pay $5,000 and signed an agreement to make monthly payments. If I default on one payment, I would owe the full amount of nearly $18,000. My last payment was sent on time, but posted after the due date triggering default. I had to get a lawyer to resolve the problem and then my credit rating. I mean, Jennifer, this is a, a case where someone already knew that paying the medical bill was going to be a stretch, but then had to get an attorney to help deal with this issue. Are If people find themselves in that position, are there low-cost or even free 
legal services people can turn to to get help with this? Oh, it's a great question. Well, I think um, those those when a payment plan like what Allison described is is offered to a patient, that's probably not coming just directly from the hospital. They're probably contracting with um, with one of these maybe private equity backed companies that that provides like sort of healthcare buy now pay later type plans. Um, but many hospitals still will allow you to negotiate a payment plan directly with them that doesn't have interest and doesn't have these kind of gotcha terms where, um, you know, interest will will go up. So um, I guess trying to go directly, you know, to the healthcare provider um, is is one option. I, one other uh, piece of, of uh, advice we definitely have been giving for a long time is just try not to put medical debt on a credit card or on any of these credit products, if at all possible. It's important debt, but it's a lower priority debt than a lot of other things like um, rent, child support, criminal justice debt, a lot of you know debts that have immediate consequences if they're not paid. Hmm. Well, we'll touch more on those consequences after this break. Also ahead, more guidance on how to address a hefty medical bill. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Let's get back to our conversation on medical debt for our series with Bloomberg News, Life and Debt. Jennifer, let's talk more about legal resources for people who are trying to navigate this system. Any advice? Um... There, if you uh, qualify based on your income, then you um, some legal aid offices or legal services offices around the country do have um, attorneys who help consumers with with debt issues, including medical debt. Um, not every legal aid office; it just depends on the resources that they have available. Um, there are private attorneys who uh, specialize in helping consumers with with different types of of debt issues, and there's a directory that you can find um, that the National Association of Consumer Attorneys puts online um, to to help find an attorney who has that expertise. I think you know another resource if you're if you're kind of short, not um, to the point of of looking for an attorney is uh, as Director Chopra said, filing a complaint, consumer complaint with the CFPB, um, because uh, you know that goes to inform the work that they do, but um, also you know may lead depending on on what has happened, um, may help contribute to enforcement actions. Uh, Also, uh, people may um, be able to contact their state attorney general's office uh, to some of of the state attorney generals are very active in in healthcare issues. 
We got this email from Elizabeth who says, I've been on the phone with my former doctor and their billing office all week. I received a notice that they would send me to collections for a $225 bill. This was the first notice I received about the late payment, and I'm being charged for a doctor's visit that did not happen. It's exhausting and wrong that dealing with health insurance actually stresses me out and and decreases my health and well-being. Now, Allison, we mentioned earlier that medical debt under $500 should not be referred to a credit agency. So any advice for Elizabeth here? Honestly, I mean, obviously it's a personal decision as to whether or not you want to actually take a risk here. But if it's under $500 and you're in the main primary reason you're concerned about the bill is because of um, it's, it's showing up and impacting your access to credit, I think under $500 you could consider not paying it. I mean, there's there's definitely that option. I would continue to try to negotiate it and, and bring attention to the reasons why your means don't allow you to get there or why you feel like you have coverage uh, that covers it. I mean, honestly, unfortunately, it's a lot of back and forth. And as somebody n- mentioned earlier, it feels like a full-time job. Well, and Jennifer, in this case, our listener said she didn't actually have the doctor's appointment that they're trying to, to bill her for. Any additional guidance? Right. Um, well, the, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act that um, Director Chopra mentioned does allow for um, you to, to dispute a debt with the debt collector. So if, if, you're, um, you know, if you've received a, a bill or you know, information from a debt collector and you think it's, you know, it's not you, maybe it was a, somebody with a similar name or it's just it, there's been some error, um, then you can send a, a dispute letter um, to to dispute that debt. Uh, you could potentially also, you know, I would reach out to the provider and the insurance company as well um, to see if, you know, they had any information about the status of that. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of, of whether to pay or not pay a debt that's under $500, um, one thing to keep in mind is that this, you know, right now this was a voluntary measure by the three major credit bureaus and, it would be fantastic if this were a law, but it's not at this point. And so, um, you know, currently it's, we, we don't know how long this protection will last. I want to go to our voicemail box. We got this message from Matthew in Little Rock about how much medical costs can vary. Regarding the medical bills, you know, one of the things that I think needs to be discussed is the fact that even if you have insurance, uh, the problem is, is the prices are gouged so much for having it. An example would be my uh, soon-to-be two-year-old daughter at her one-year appointment having her routine vaccinations. Uh, we ended up receiving the bill later uh, for $863. When questioning the uh, legitimacy of the bill, uh, looked at an itemized list and see that all the vaccines, the cheapest one was $150. So called the... Uh, uh, the doctor's office and asked, you know, what if we didn't have insurance? What would it have cost? Each one of those vaccines would have been $20. And furthermore, you can get those vaccines for free at the uh, health departments. So I just want to address that as well. Matthew, thanks for that message. I mean, Allison, how well informed do consumers have to be to navigate our health system and avoid getting a bill like what Matthew just described? I mean, he has health insurance but could have gotten his daughter's vaccinations for for free had he known up front that that was the cheaper way to go. Yeah, I think for me, this is the fundamental problem here. I mean, we've been talking about in this whole conversation and, you know, we talked to the CFPB director. We have 
Jennifer from consumer, you know, from a consumer protection uh, nonprofit, like we treat patients as consumers. And so there's this expectation that they have to shop for healthcare. And honestly, the prices do not make any sense to your average person. It's not like at all analogous to going in and shopping for anything else on the planet. It is just significantly different. The economics don't align. And so we have put this pressure and expectation on people and blame. And frankly, the system is just set up for for, for failure for patients. And so I'm not surprised by this story at all. Uh, I do think that if people want to get ahead of these costs, they do need to shop. But at the same time, I just want to fundamentally question that premise. And I think we need even hospitals. They, they talk about, you know, there's on the one hand, you have the, the people providing the clinicians care, calling people patients. Soon as it goes to the billing agency, they're consumers. And there's a totally different dynamic in how the people are treated. That needs to be put together. Those two ends need to meet. And we need to think about people as patients and talk about their well-being. And then we might have a different attitude about even these prices and why they're all over the place. Jennifer, your thoughts? Um, I, you know, definitely agree with Allison about the way that, that patients are treated and the way that healthcare is, is treated as a, a business in this country. Um, and, you know, obviously it's, it's done a lot of harm. Um, for the particular situation, um, I mean, that, that raises a, a bunch of issues. Um, the Affordable Care Act uh, provides, you know, a level of coverage for, um, you know, for preventative or routine care that so it seems that something like um, just routine childhood vaccination should be covered. So I would think for something like that, um, potentially following up with the state insurance commissioner's office to find out what happened here. And um, there, there is a problem sometimes that um, consumers or, or patients, uh, that, that folks don't realize that um, when they purchase insurance on their own um, online, um, some, you know, people can go onto healthcare.gov or their state uh, insurance marketplace to buy insurance, but there are a lot of kind of copycat type sites that sell things that aren't real insurance, that are um, healthcare sharing ministry plans that don't have the kind of benefits that insurance have or association health plans or other kind of unlicensed products that are, are kind of fake insurance. So um, often that's where we see people being billed for, for things that, that really should have been covered if they had insurance. Um, they might have inadvertently bought something that they thought was uh, affordable insurance, but it actually wasn't real insurance. Well, we're hearing from so many people this hour. Sarah emails, last year I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which brought about many surgeries, chemo, and radiation, followed by 10 years of medicine. Now we are $15,000 in debt, and I've become so overwhelmed and depressed. I don't know what to do on top of trying to manage my health. Our system needs to change. And another of you shares this, I'm facing medical debt after I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer. I was forced to go out of town because there are no hospitals in this area who perform a necessary procedure. If the procedure could have been performed at my local hospital, I would have had the bill covered. Despite the fact that I have insurance, I don't know how I am going to pay these bills. Allison, as we said earlier, your organization, RIP Medical Debt, purchases bulk debt and, and pays it off. How much have you been able to pay off at this point? We're inching closer to $9 billion of debt for nearly 6 million people, which is, you know, an incredible feat. Um, at the same time, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot more debt out there. And, you know, I always like to 
point out very clearly that we do need bigger solutions than us. We're, we're happy to do the work we're doing, and we're being very intentional about doing this work in a way that brings attention to the brokenness of the system by highlighting the stories of those individuals that we're helping. We've actually invested in a team uh, that's, that's job it is to, to prop up those stories, to try to break some of the stigma and sort of change this narrative around this consumerism that we've been talking about. People can't directly request relief from your organization, but what can people do to get help or, or try to, as we've been talking about, prevent medical debt in the first place? Allison? I mean, people, yeah, so I think, look, at the, at the end of the day, having good insurance and making sure that you can access good insurance is, is the key to this, right? Like walking in the door with good coverage. Now, next to that, uh, making sure that you go to a hospital that you understand their financial assistance policies and that you apply proactively or that you make sure that you you work with groups like Dollar Four. I'll give them another shout out uh, to make sure that you get coverage. And then the last stop is this consumer financial um, protections that you have to sort of work with if you end up with a medical debt. Uh, but, you know, I think the first thing people need to do is make sure that they have the best coverage they can. The problem, of course, again, going back to the system, is a lot of people are in low income jobs that they can, can't really access the the um, insurance coverage that would not leave them with a high deductible, which is a lot of the debts that we end up relieving on the back end. So it is true people can't apply to our program, but we are getting more and more hospitals engaged with us so that we can buy that debt and get people relieved. But again, we know that that's not the final answer to this problem. Jennifer, how does medical debt vary from state to state? Um, Well, you know, it can vary a lot. So the area of the country where we see the highest concentration of medical debt, unfortunately, is in the southeast. And that's because um, many of those states have not expanded Medicaid coverage. So that that is really um, one of the, the big contributors to, to medical debt, unfortunately. Um, and uh, it, it really, if you look at states that have, you know, strong consumer protections and, and strong... Um, Insurance programs, like I, I will mention my home state of Massachusetts, medical debt rates tend to be lower. It's not that there's no medical debt, um, but medical debt rates do tend to be lower in, in some of, of those states that have really taken a proactive approach. We got this email from David who says, I was scheduled for a heart surgery to fix an arrhythmia. The morning of the surgery, I was told that I had to pay $6,000 up front before they could begin. They might as well have said $6 billion. I don't have that kind of money laying around. I have insurance. My deductible had not been met yet. The doctor has told me that over time, without the surgery, my heart is going to weaken. I literally had to decide to just die younger because I could not afford that $6,000 up front. And Alice, and these stories are just... They're just heartbreaking. And part of the question is what obligation do medical providers have to treat people who are facing illness? I mean, we've heard stories about cancer. We've got a gentleman here with a heart issue. what, What is the obligation? I mean, I think that our healthcare system has to provide care to people, period. And and unfortunately, healthcare is not a right in the United States. Um, and that's the, the 
hard, cold truth of it right now. It is a, uh, there is a business side to it that is under undermining our health. And we need to take a hard look at that reality. You know, we don't fund social interventions that prevent people from getting sick in that first place. And then we, we, we overfund a healthcare system that has credit, like not great, great outcomes at the end of the day. And so, you know, we had, just to give you an example, we have a, a, somebody who we helped was a veteran and he hurt his back. He ended up in a, even, he couldn't get all the care he needed through the VA and he ended up um, with serious medical bills. We relieved some of that debt and why he was so excited when he told us his story was because he was unable to sign student loan, uh, sign a student loan, which is your next topic for your next show. Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to sign his son's student loan because of the debt he was in. And so you see the ripple effects of this. We got this email from Sharon who says, I had an eyelid procedure that was medically necessary to stop a constant migraine for 10 years. The doctor mistakenly billed it as a cosmetic procedure, so it wasn't covered by insurance. I tried to get them to rebill it properly, but instead they turned it over to collections. The bill collectors have called me every day for at least six months, sometimes twice a day all from different numbers, so I couldn't block them. I jump every time the phone rings. Talk about stress. Allison, we we talked a bit about just the the cumulative effect of dealing with this debt. For someone who is saying, look, this was a billing problem, what should Sharon do? I mean, you have to be relentless and annoying and a great advocate on your own behalf to the hospital and make them read change the change the bill. I mean it's that it's that much. What's happened in this situation clearly is they turned it over collections. Collections is incent incentivized because they get paid for how much they collect. They get a percentage of that. And so that's the problem. The other other thing is that person should make sure that it actually is just a collection agency and that 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 um, debt wasn't actually sold, which is a whole different um, and difficult thing to navigate. We could spend another hour talking about this, but I want to note reporter Marshall Allen dug into this for his book, Never Pay the First Bill and Other Ways to Fight the Healthcare System and Win. We spoke to him on the program, and if you want to listen back to that conversation, it's at the1a.org. We've been speaking to Allison Sesso. She's the president and CEO of RIP Medical Debt. That's a nonprofit that buys and relieves medical debt. And Jennifer Bosco, she's a senior attorney at the National Consumer Law Center. They work on issues that affect low-income consumers, including medical debt. Allison Jennifer, thanks for your time. This conversation is part of our Life and Debt series in partnership with Bloomberg News. Today's producer was Jorhalina Manorea with help from Lauren Hamilton and Maya Garg. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. NPR Wine Club members have contributed over $1.5 million to helping create a more informed public. B21. Join the charge at nprwineclub.org slash podcast. 
Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.